Okay, so we're here with Gemma Cipriani Espiniera, who is the VP of Customer Success at Chili Piper. Um, I was very nervous about that that name intro. Uh, I'm I'm not good at pronouncing, so hopefully I nailed it. But Gemma, really excited to talk to you today. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, yeah, you you had perfect pronunciation there. Thank you very much. Like I said, I was going to say. I'm going to try your name though. Brown okay. Brown Bash. So it's German. It's cl- you're close. It's uh, well. So actually, this is a good. It, I say it Brunsbach. Brunsbach. My dad. My dad says Brunsbach. Oh, and so okay. I don't know why I, I could never get on the the CK, even though it's a CH ending. But um, he probably knows the pronunciation better than I do. But I'm you know a stubborn son, so uh, we always go back and forth on that one. But you're close. It's uh, and I think there used to be like an umlaut and like a tilt an umlaut under the, over the U and you say that in a certain way in German. So, um, but yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate you trying. That was, it was, um, it's good, you know, to put yourself out I there. Appreciate, I appreciate you trying with, with both <laughs> our names. I think you did a great job, but um, well, no, honestly, really happy to be here. Thank you for having me on the series. Um, well, I always like to start with a fun, fun question. And, um, since I was just on a little tropical vacation with my wife, my fun question for you is like, what is your, what's your go-to, um, like frozen cocktail? Is it like a, like, do you love a daiquiri? Do you like strawberry? Is it coconut? Is it banana? Like, what is your, like, if you're on a beach and dreaming about, you know, just taking some time off, what's, what's your go-to daiquiri? That's a, that's a great question. There are definitely many that I would add to the list. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do, by the way, if I'm hosting an event is to name the cocktails like give them, give them like fun names. Yeah. yeah. I love doing that. Um, but you know, right now, if you're going to take me to the Virgin islands where you just went, I'm probably going to ask for a pina colada with, with dark rum. Oh, dark rum. I like yeah. it. Yeah. We yeah. did. Um, I'm a big fan of mango. I did a lot of mango while we were down there. Um, it just, I don't know. That's just my fruit. I like that a lot. Um, all right, cool. Then I'm going to do a second follow-up question just to, you know, just so the listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Um, you have a bunch of squares. It looks like on the back of your wall or rectangles. Yeah. Is that just an art piece or what, how did that come about? <laughs> yeah. So uh, my wife brought me a painting set, like an easel and a bunch of different paints, like acrylics, oils, watercolors. Um, and that was a project that we did one weekend. I, said, I like it. Yeah. Let's do something. Well, I need, I need to get on that. Cause my, my background, as you can see, is just a blank wall. My wife uh, talks about it all the time. So I need to, I'm, I'm looking for inspiration. So your background uh, for those listeners out there, very nice bookshelf, uh, very tall. And then you've got your great photos next to it. So um, I appreciate it. Well, um, I know one thing that we were just chatting through and, and I think would be a perfect starting point for us is just um, kind of that question. I think the inevitable question that you get asked when you're a customer success leader, um, which is, you know, hey, how do you know you have the right team size or how, how do I know when I need to add to my team? Um, and you're, you know, you've got your finance leader coming to you. You have your CEO coming to you and they're sitting there saying, how do you know you have the right team? How do you know they're doing the right things? How do you know that, you know, how do I, how, how do I know that if I give you this budget that you're going to use it in the right way kind of mm-hmm. uh, insinuation. And so um, where does, where do you start with that kind of question? You know, as you start thinking about it from a, a leadership standpoint. Yeah, it's, it's a big one for sure. Um, and I think, what actually happens is you don't get asked whether you have the right um, amount of people in, in the team or whether the budget's being used properly. I think 
it's, it's actually a, another question that's asked, which is, what does customer success do? <laughs> <laughs> and then when you get asked that question, you know, the first the first piece of advice I would I would give to anyone is check your own pulse, right? Yep. Take a breath. Um, because it can be quite triggering to be asked that, particularly when working in customer success, you're involved in so many things. It's like, how could you ask me this question? You know, what do you mean what we do? We do everything. Um, but I think over the years, what, what I found really helpful is um, not only making sure that there's there's absolute transparency in the metrics, um, you know, both lagging outcomes that customer success impacts like retention or um, product adoption, um, but also ensuring that there's there's clarity in the customer journey, right? Because when you have yeah. that clarity in the customer journey across the business, you then you then can say, well, we take our customer through these different phases in order to help them achieve their desired outcome, whatever it is, by use case, persona, product, so on and so forth. Um, and in order to do this, these are the kind of activities that we do with them. And once you have that kind of visibility, the only other piece to, to really get a good handle on that I think not many people do in CS, but we will see more people doing is the amount of time that it takes to complete those activities. So if you compare it to professional services, as an example, professional service teams who maybe focus on one very particular thing, like an integration project, um, they're usually very good at tracking hours because they come from the project management world, right? So it's always about tracking hours and then giving an estimate if you're going to be behind on the project and so on and so forth. But in customer success, because we've kind of spun out of sales, you could argue, um, the, the, the way that teams have been built in customer success is by looking at their carrying capacity in terms of like a volume of customers or a, an ARR number, you know, or a volume of users. But actually, we really need to think about the hours that they're spending, right? Because... Yep. Um, there's nothing worse than being a CSM and feeling like you don't have enough time for your customers. And that is what, um, as a leader, you know, that, that should be your biggest priority, ensuring that the CSMs that are in your team feel like they do have enough time to support customers. Um, so anyway, yeah. Well, long answer there, but <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like you said, it's a deep question, right? You can go so many different directions, but I like that approach that you're talking about because, I think sometimes people think of the renewal just as an event in and of its uh, of itself, right? It's just like, hey, I, we just have to get the renewal done. When really, the renewal is um, just one point along the customer journey, and we've had all these other moments and touch points right. that are are really just solidifying that the renewal is is already pre done. Like that's the the way that we need to be thinking about it. And so I think going back to your point, though, the at least what I you know back in uh, some of our consulting days, I think the thing that we noticed a lot with. Uh, customer success leaders who were growing and moving very quickly was um, they just got caught up in the cycle of not looking at the the totality of the activities that we're doing. How do we start yes. putting time against it? How do we start thinking about different models or different engagements for different types of customers? And it just started to become a kind of fire drill. Oh, this customer's talking. You need to go to them. This one's talking. You need to go to them. And then all of a sudden, I think you get to this point where, you know, back to your original point about, you know, what does customer success do? I think you get to this point where it's like, well, 
now that I'm thinking about it, I'm actually just doing a lot of th these reactive things. And we're just kind of making sure that everybody's, you know, a little bit happy. We're kind of pushing everything up at, a little bit at a time. And then, you know, it's like, oh, the renewal's there. And so, um, you know, then we have a moment of, of time where it's like the renewal's here. Are they going to be happy? Are they going to renew? We don't know. What can we start forecasting? But I think going back to that piece, though, how can we start? proactively looking at if we have a customer, what does that journey look like? How do we start thinking about just some specific and key moments? How do we start associating time? And it's not gonna be perfect. You have to adjust, you have to be able to go on the fly. But like, yeah. if I have at least like three or four moments across that customer journey where I know, hey, I'm gonna be spending this much time doing X, Y, and Z, um, and we can start associating that and start putting that expectation in. I think that's just where you start maybe is just with a couple of those key activities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, even if at a very high level, you could say, it takes this many days to onboard customers and these are the kind of meetings that we have to do with them and this is the prep time that it takes for those meetings. Um, you can come out and say, well, it's it's going to be 20 hours per new customer. So that is so much more powerful than just saying, you know, CSMs can look after a book of business of, of this value. It's they can look after this many customers, spending this many hours with them. And you know what? If, if we need to... Um, reduce headcount because there's there's you know um, some other kind of initiatives happening in the business. Then that's okay. We, we're going to have to invest in other ways to reduce those hours that we're taking for customers. So maybe it's a, a deeper investment in in the product or in the the digital aspect of customer success, which you know, a lot of people talk about tech touch. I, I talk about it as digital customer success. Yeah, I love I love the point that point too because um, I also think about that when you start using data to your advantage in that way, mm -hmm. it really opens up a lot of possibilities where there's not really a given answer, right? Where it's like, Hey, this takes us 20 hours today. There's no real set. You know, it's like you said, it's, Hey, if we, maybe we specialize that role and they become really good at it. And that specialization gives exactly. us time back. So maybe that 20 becomes 18 or 20 becomes 15, or maybe we tell that to a product person, a uh, software engineer and software engineer says, Hey, I noticed you're doing a bunch of manual stuff that we could, you know, we could help provision the account with. So let me go create something and it takes them, you know, 20 hours to code it. And now it saves us five hours every single time. Like, so I love that point though, because that is where you also, um, as you start forming relationships around the business and you start saying, Hey, here are some of the key metrics we're looking at. It's taking us 20 hours to onboard. Hey, you know, we're trying to have an executive business review with tier one customers and um, it takes us 20 hours to pull data just to, to have that one meeting, right? Then all of a sudden that reframes the question, okay, how do we get data quicker? Is it in the tool? Is it through mm. uh, dashboards? Is it that we have automated reports set up, right? Like there's, so I think um, to your point, like that, that can be used in such a good way across the organization to really start framing up some of the right conversations to say, how do we drive um, kind of efficiency for our business internally while still driving the impact and the value and the outcome that the customer needs to happen or is looking for? Yeah, totally. I think, you know, just to add on your point, what you said about specialization, what's really beautiful about bringing in specialized roles is that you can then say to these specialized roles that like, your job is to reduce this by this. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And if you're measuring everything from a um, from an effort hours perspective, um, it becomes a lot easier to to really manage manage progress um, yeah. and process improvements. So, you know, I think about how fortunate our friends in sales are to have had revenue ops for so long. Right? Yeah. When you think about it, there's there's been. Um, sales ops roles and revenue ops roles out there for a really, really long time. Well, not really long time, but I don't know. What would you say? Like 
five to 10 years, probably. Definitely. Oh yeah. Um, whereas, you know, you compare that to the roles of, you know, customer success operations or digital customer success um, managers. These are pretty new things. Not many roles exist with that title. So yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot that we could learn from um, optimizations that have been made on, you know, the, uh, the earliest stages of uh, the customer journey and we need to apply them to further down in the funnel when they get to customer success. Yeah. It's like a natural uh, maturation of our industry, right? Like it's yeah. like sales have gone through it. I think marketing is now has already gone through it. Yeah. You're starting to see a lot more marketing ops types roles. Um, and so I think it, yeah, it's like a natural evolution. Cause I think that is also where you're, um, I think one of the things that we've talked about a lot, uh, especially since we started Gang Grow Retain is um, this sense of feeling confident kind of walking into the, into the boardroom or the executive meeting, so to speak. Right. And sales feels really confident because they have things like, um, you know, how many calls are we making? Uh, what's the pipeline look like? You know, what's our opportunity that we're closing? What's the the deal rate or the close rate that we have? You know, what's the average revenue that we're making? Like they, they have these formulaic and systematic, systematic ways because they've, like you said, they've been able to refine and, and then there's methodologies that have taken hold in the industry that people be- believe in, that people have been schooled in, that there's, you know, trainings you can get around. And I think marketing's going through that same thing. So I, I definitely see the a very similar evolution, but I think we're still in the midst of maybe being on that the beginning curve of that evolution for customer success to kind of get that same mindset, um, especially around the digital piece. You know, I think um, we're noticing that tons of more tons of positions are starting to open up around not only customer success ops, but now this customer marketing role or mm-hmm. digital customer success role that yeah. uh, I think you mentioned earlier, where it's like part of it is you need to come to the table with a mindset of, Hey, I'm, I'm building, um, I'm building a series of programs or series of campaigns that I need to engage customers with. And then part of it is that you're, you're probably doing things directly with some of the customers. Uh, and then part of it is that you need to have kind of this technology and ops type of mindset where you're uh, you know, how, what's the data telling me, how am I making the right decisions? And so it's kind of uh, this position that's coming in that's sitting between marketing and customer success, but really the, I think the intent and the outcome starts to, to be um, how are we driving you know, digital engagement with customers and how are we starting to push that further and further? Um, because I think people are starting to realize that, um, you know, no matter how much our, you know, it opens back up, I don't think we're ever going to go back to, um, traveling the way we probably used to. And, and we need to start thinking about ways to engage with our, our customers. Um, and frankly, our inboxes are flooded more than ever from emails, from webinars, from all these different things. So how do you, how do you create the right approach and the right system to engage those customers? And so I'm curious from your standpoint, you know, how, how have you approached that? Um, or how do you start thinking about that digital customer success role and kind of that engagement that you're trying to get from the, from those customers? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we've made um, a ton of progress since creating a position for a digital customer success um, director. Um, she's awesome. <laughs> we can live without her. That's for sure. Um, and her, her capacity is, is really focused on you know, getting the metrics in place. So measuring everything, but then coming up with ways to improve the efficiencies across the team. So there's the obvious stuff that digital customer success provides to the customer, right? So the on-stage stuff would be, you know, triggered um, automated emails when you notice some kind of dip in adoption or um, a guided cadence 
through onboarding, whether it's in the product or in some other kind of, you know, portal for the customer. Um, and those are, those are obviously what the customer sees and, and that improves the on-stage experience for the customer. So they're not waiting around to speak to someone to, um, to get set up or to, um, get trained or to, uh, you know, achieve, achieve whatever they're looking to do with your product. But backstage, what digital customer success is doing is, is flying the flag for, for operations and, and, um, really kind of empowering the, the, the leaders in CS who are looking after the human side of things to do so with, uh, more data, right. So to make data driven decisions. Um, and I think, you know, you talked about the, the relationship between customer marketing as well. If you've ever been a CSM, which I know, I know you have, one of the most annoying things is not knowing what's going out from different departments, right? It could be marketing, it could be product, it could be whoever is messaging customers, asking time from them, um, giving them an update on a feature that, you know, you kind of want to know about and you want to yep. manage that messaging. So another piece of digital customer success is really owning everything that goes out to the customer. So ensuring that there is a really uh, clear alignment between all of the different messages a customer could be receiving because they don't see us as different departments. They just see us as Chili Piper, right? Yeah. And um, so that, that's another, another aspect of it, you know, ensuring that we come across as, as one business. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm smirking over here because um, we went, we, we were going through that same thing. So we created a, uh, a mechanism internally that we call our, our uh, customer communications clearinghouse. We call it three C for short, but this clearinghouse mindset is just what you mentioned, right? Which is essentially how do we centralize all the communications that are going to a customer? So mm-hmm. kind of every department now has to essentially, um, uh, flag it or put it through, um, this clearinghouse so that we, um, at least just have an idea of what does this calendar look like? How can we make sure that everybody in the company knows what's going out to when, who's it being, being communicated with? We're kind of working through, um, kind of some bumps in the road of just trying to make sure how do we visualize that? How do we, how do we help easily tell that story and send it out mm-hmm. kind of company wide? So we're kind of working on that second piece, but at least we've kind of got the teams rallied around that first piece, because I think just like you said, we've kind of gone around to everybody being like, Oh, doesn't it really suck when, you know, Hey, product team, doesn't it really suck when you don't know that we're, you know, sending something out about marketing or, Hey, you know, customer success team, doesn't it really suck when this happens. And so I think yeah. going around and telling the stories, people really kind of bought into that idea of like, yeah, you're right. Like we are sending more digital communication than ever. And we are one company. And so we can't really have, you know, this idea that we're sending the, we're sending somebody four emails in one day, all from different things, all from about different, you know, different topics right. and the customer yeah. seeing there saying like, wow, do they even talk to each other and they work at the same company? So, right. um, so I definitely, definitely believe that for sure. And I love that approach. It's, I'm curious, it sounds, um, I guess, do you have this digital customer success, um, role that you have? Does it, um, do you also have, uh, customer success operations, um, role as well, or do you see those as one and the same? So, um, for our size of business and given the maturity that we already had in revenue ops, um, we, we see it as the same, but I think, you know, in time as we, as we grow, um, we might spin out ops as a separate thing. 
Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, it depends on, on the stage of the company and the maturity of um, data consistency and transparency. Yeah. goes back to that specialization. I think you mentioned earlier too, right. Where it's like, as that right now, as that digital customer success um, kind of persons in that role, starting to understand what are the activities they're doing? What are the things that they're doing? And then, like you said, as you kind of grow and scale, where, where does it make sense to, to specialize? Like what makes the right sense to kind of pull off of that plate to, to give to somebody else to say, Hey, this is a specialized role for you to do now. Cause there is enough, enough work uh, to be yeah. done. Absolutely. I think, you know, another one, um, <clears throat> that is really closely aligned is, is enablement as well, right? So yeah. teams often don't have someone managing enablement because you kind of can get by what is coming from a, a sales, uh, yeah. <laughs> sales enablement person. Um, but, you know, I think it's, I would say rule of thumb when your team's getting over 30, you know, over 50 people, then you, you need that yep. additional enablement. <laughs> um, person to, to support the directors. So, um, yeah, those are other directions that I feel, um, digital customer success could also look to encompass, right? Cause there's a digital, uh, success for your customers, but then all of that backstage stuff, I like to talk about things as on stage and backstage, um, gives, gives clarity to what we're, what we're fixing, improving. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the backstage stuff does come down to enablement, right? People yeah. Not doing things, they, not because they don't want to, just because they don't know how. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, um, man, this is great. This is really helping. This is um, providing some self-confidence and validation because I think we we um, are in that same, same spot right now. So we actually just brought on, um, last year, we brought on somebody to do enablement for our customer team. And so uh, she's working closely with the directors of the teams. Um, trying to understand, you know, what their teams need. Uh, if we have upcoming releases or upcoming things that are happening, maybe from product. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do we have the right training for the teams? Do we have all, everything into FAQ documents? You know, what's, what are all the, um, how, how's the rollout going to happen? What's the communication look like? And so she's helping to prepare all that internal documentation so that, you know, at any given moment, anybody on our customer facing teams can sit there and say, Hey, you know, I'm prepared. I, I have all this stuff at my fingertips to be able to consume, to, to talk to customers about. So, um, so yeah, we, and so we actually have, um, both of those roles, just like you mentioned, we kind of have this, um, right now we just have a, a uh, we, we call it a CS, CS ops analyst and who's doing yeah. a lot of that digital customer success. And then we've got the enablement. And right now we're, we're, um, in the midst of hiring that third person to, um, kind of pull off some of the duties from that analyst to um, look a little bit more into some of the the messaging and some of the digital programming and things like that. And so we'll have somebody that's focused on kind of metrics, somebody who's focused on enablement and somebody who's focused on kind of the, the messaging side of things as well to kind of round out that, that CS ops team. Um, so this is validating for me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you've got a, a really good setup and ready, ready to grow quickly through yeah. acquisition. Yeah. Last. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's uh, very true. Yeah. It's, it is tough yeah, though. You know, on that, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. We're excited. Um, uh, we are definitely big opportunities since we're, we're going to be um, taking, you know, vanilla and, and acquiring them and uh, bringing them into the fold. So it's gonna be really fun. Um, but yeah, I, I just, maybe another question that I have for you too, is you, um, one of the things that I think a lot of our, our members are struggling with, or I've talked about, um, I've heard up, you know, constantly is this, um, you know, you're, you're always going through change 
uh, right? I think change is the constant when you're working in a uh, B2B SaaS business. I think that's what people have to be prepared for. But, um, you know, how you bring people along in that change, I think, goes a long way. Like, I think that is the... To me, I think the sign of like the true leaders are the ones who understand, hey, we're going to be going through change. Here's how we need to bring the people along. It's not necessarily right. Like people can think about the strategy. People can think about um, the execution. They can think about all those things. But how do we communicate it? How do we bring people along? And so I'm curious, you know, just like the the route we were going down and talking about, you know, having these different roles, um, you know, being prepared for scale. Um, how, what are, I don't know if there's anything in, in your mind, um, throughout your career, maybe that's helped you, um, as you've thought about, like, how do we kind of bring people along in this change management, you know, process, especially as we're, we're kind of always growing, we're always scaling, we're always thinking about the next thing. Um, how have you done that maybe with some of your teams? Yeah, I think this has been a huge learning curve for me over the years and, you know, it's true. The only thing that is constant is change. I know it's a cliche, but it's absolutely true. So you just have to be comfortable with change, I think, is is the first learn. Um, something that I find very difficult is uh, dealing with my impatience. <laughs> so if I if I know that something can be improved, you know, if I've got the data to prove it and um, research the best practice and, and so on and so forth, um, it's... I, my, my go-to would be to just try and do it straight away. And I think one thing that um, I really was able to um, be better at this time around leading a team at Chili Piper was, was, was um, the change management piece by recognizing that you have to continue to um, run the business while you're transforming the business, right? There's no, yeah. you can't just stop everything and say, this is the new way that we're doing it. I mean, by the way, you can, but you might end up um, paying for it down the road when people aren't really sold into the reasons why the change is happening um, or aren't really kind of enabled on how that's going to um, change their day to day. So I think a much better approach is to, and, and what I've learned is to, you know, constantly remind yourself and remind those who you're pointing into that, I'm trying to transform the business, but I'm also trying to run the business. Yeah. So there's certain things that I can do to transform faster, like bring in specialized roles um, that are maybe not directly supporting customers, but, you know, for instance, digital customer success or bringing in direct to level people who can be a, an additional support to, to the team. That's going to help me transform faster. It's going to help me run faster, but still we have to, um, we have to keep things going. Um, yeah. yeah. It's a good, uh, I love that distinction. Um, Cause I think that that also is just, as you become a leader in the business, you start understanding how, how that has to happen. Um, that you're either working in the business or on the business. Right. And I think those are, it's another analogy um, kind of of that similar vein where, you know, you're, you're trying to make sure that um, the team is supported and things are moving in the direction and that, and that the day-to-day -day stuff just continues to happen. But over here on the corner, you kind of have to, to be thinking about the future and working on the business. Um, one of the things I always like to think about too, is I always think that it's really hard for people to hold two truths. Um, and so I think that's also something that I've had to, to wrap my head around too, is that, um, but just like you said, you have to be really, I think just thoughtful or methodical about how you, 
um, introduce change and introduce what's going to happen mm-hmm. because it's really hard for somebody to say, okay, this is true. And I need to go do this, but then this is also true. And I need to go do this. And so now like, how do I, I how do I hold these two truths in my mind? Um, and so I think about that a lot too, is, you know, how do I, if that's going to happen, you know, how do I only do that? Maybe on a, how do I test it on a cohort first, or how do I do something in a small, um, small show to make sure, like you were saying earlier that we can show it works. Maybe we get some data behind it or something that can happen that helps us say, Hey, this is working. And then we can start to kind of move the message along. The last part that I loved that you mentioned as well was this idea of, of, um, getting them involved in that process too. Like I'm a, um, I'm very much like an activator. Um, I'm yeah. like, as soon as I hear, if you told me like, you know, if Gemma's like, Hey, Jeff, um, we have a problem. We need to go get a new CRM. Cool. I'm going to go get a, the new CRM. I'm going to install it. I'm going to do everything. I'm just going to go, go, go. Like I just, I start activating in my mind, like immediately when you say something and I've really had to, as a leader, like understand that I need to activate through people, right? Like I need to influence and activate through other people. And so I just think, like you said, like, um, sometimes bringing people along in that and and helping them feel like they're part of the process, or maybe they're helping with the ideation of it. Um, that's going to get them so much more involved and bought into, okay, we need to go do this and this is going to help us transform, or this is where the business is going. And so I think that also, um, kind of rang true from what you mentioned as well. Yeah, totally, totally. I think um, something Chili Piper um, as an entire company does really well is makes decisions um, quickly that are data-led. And we have a, we actually have a decision memo template that everybody in the company can use. So if you want to propose something new, there's like a whole template for doing it. And you have to you know, bring your evidence, um, put forward your options, and then everybody in the business has a chance to comment. So it's... Um, it's a very Amazon style, like, approach. Yeah. I love <laughs> know, that. It's, it, what's funny is we're, we're a scheduling and, you know, we, we route meetings and we schedule meetings, but we actually, um, do not meet unless we have to. So we're very, we're, we're which very is intentional. Like, I love it. Yeah. yeah it's, that uh, is so funny. It's, um, it is really funny. We still have a lot of meetings. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you don't go to a meeting without, without having that, uh, brief prepared and, um, it's very effective for sure. Um, I would also say something I learned from my my friend Sarah, who is um, head of data at, at Looker now Google, um, head of data transformation. I think is her new title. Um, she came in to do a seminar for my for my old team at my last place, my old leadership team, and um, it was all about change management and that whole concept of um, freezing something that is already in place before you unfreeze it and then freeze it again to the new way of working, I found to be like so, so helpful. So even if you know what you want to do to, to unfreeze something, you, for instance, if it is a, um, an advocacy process, like how do we ask customers um, to provide references what is our current way of doing it if there's 20 million ways that we're doing it we better document all those 20 million ways that we're doing it before we then start to propose a new way of doing it train everybody on the new way of doing it and then freeze that new way into place i like that a lot too yeah like um it's kind of like getting a map or getting a lay of the land right like we need to know everything that's happening today Mm -hmm. and getting it documented first Um, because I also think, um, that just reminds me of this. uh, I'm trying to think of the quote. I can't think of it right now, but, um, I saw recently somebody was talking about this where, um, 
they were talking about how people were solutioning before they even knew like the totality of the, of the problem of what was happening. And so it's like, to your point, right. They, like this person was already solutioning when they were, but maybe they they didn't even know all the other ways that were happening. Maybe there was like a, an entire, you know, wing of ways that people right. were, were submitting advocates that nobody had any idea about. And so then uh, their solution only took care of like 25% of the problem. And it was therefore like moot by the time they tried to roll it out. And so I think that um, that goes hand in hand. I love the um, I've been trying to do this a lot with our teams. So I have a similar brief uh, that I've been using recently, but mine is, um, it sounds very similar, but it's like, uh, what's the hypothesis? What's the data that, or what's the metric, you know, that we're going to to use to prove whether the hypothesis is true or false? Um, what is the, what's the business impact? So outside of just the, the core metric we're going to use to tell whether it's, you know, positive or negative uh, or true mm-hmm. or false, uh, kind of what's the core business metric we're going to impact um, what is, like you said, what are the possible solutions? And then what is the key next step? If you picked one of those solutions, like pick where, like, what's your recommendation? And then what's the one next step that you'd have to go take on that. And so like those kind of five things make up like one slide and everything should be presented on like one slide that says, okay, here is this, I can read through it and easily be, you know, some accompanying stuff if we need it, if there's more data analysis, if there's, you know, things that go behind it. But I love that concept of like, what's the data we're bringing to the table? What's the hypothesis we're bringing? Like, I just, yeah. my, my wife is a doctor. And so I always think about like um, the scientific method of hypothesis yeah. and like, what's the, and what's the route. And I feel like there's so much we can learn in the business world of like taking that mentality, because um, I also think of, I think that leads, at least me, it leads me to, to believe a lot of times too, I can test on a cohort first. I can test on, Hey, my hypothesis is that I'm going to drive these 10 customers to go do X and mm-hmm. I'm going to use this metric and the business impact right now is really small. But if I get, if I prove that it's true, then I can roll it out to, you know, thousands of customers and then the impact is big. And so I think just to me, it also um, gets into this mindset of iterating on small cohorts before we go test it on all of our customers at once. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you can build that confidence in testing and, you know, maybe failing on those tests. Yeah. by by um by stating what you're doing right <laughs> um you know it's so funny my, my wife also works in medicine by the way but she she is not my inspiration for being driven <laughs> i have to be honest um it is actually it was my time at decibel where i was um working with them to service like huge brands like sony lego oh and british airways and we were giving them recommendations on how to improve their website right Yep. So as a customer success team, we had to be specialists in um, presenting insights and then recommending actions based on those insights. And it's so funny. I, I still talk about insights and actions with, um, with my team today because I think um, you know, there's nothing worse than a hypothesis that's only backed by gut. Yeah, right. that is so true. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we're more similar than uh, than I knew because I, I worked I worked in digital marketing for like ten years, and so we were. Uh, I got to work with like Bridgestone, Firestone Tires, and Lenovo computers. My um, like my my first best job. And so we were doing. Um, we were helping them with their digital marketing campaigns, but it was similar where we were. Oh, awesome. I mean, we were looking at you know millions of dollars of spend, and we were telling them where to direct it and which was yeah. more effective, and how do we do A/B testing? How do we look at the website and the and the conversion funnel that we have? Like all these things. And so we used to have to do similar reports where we would put um, hypotheses, actions, insights that were happening. What's the final recommendation. So, um, yeah, I took that from, from my kind of digital, digital world as well. It's, it's so funny because I think what we're both talking about here is, um, 
what makes you a good CSM, it, some people say, you know, a good CSM doesn't necessarily be, become a good leader, but sometimes it does. <laughs> you know, there's some skills that you can apply to be really successful with your customers that yep. also um, are really successful in how, how you apply yourself to your team. Yeah. Leading your team. And in the, the other point that I'll tack on to this idea, just like you were mentioning where like, um, you know, charts, charts really don't do it justice when you are trying to, to defend or accept a hypothesis, right. Is like this art of storytelling is becoming so much more important. Like, um, you know, the, the data visualization tools, like we were talking about looker, like those tools are all great. Um, and they, they help us aggregate data. They help us transform. They help us, you know, visualize it. But there is the, like the, the human side of that is like, how do I, how do I architect the story of what the data is telling me? What are the inputs? What are the outputs? Like, how do I bring that hypothesis to life? Like that is the, I think that's something that I've always tried to think about for CSMs is, you know, in your day-to-day role, it's not just taking a report and sending it to a customer. It's taking a report and understanding it because you understand their business. And if you can understand their business and you can take that report and say, here's what this report means for your business. And here's some of the recommendations or here's some of the things I'm noticing. That's where you become a really valuable part because you're kind of, you're bridging that gap. And that's the storytelling piece that, um, I've been really infatuated with myself just the last couple of months as I, I actually um, picked up a book about how Amazon, um, you know, does a bunch of stuff, especially about storytelling and, yeah. um, and some of that internally. So that's another piece. Um, but yeah, storytelling just popped in my mind as you were talking about that. It, I, we are really similar, Jeff, by the way. <laughs> so I, you keep saying the art of storytelling. I have, I have a book that I've just finished. It's called the science of storytelling. It's by um, this chap called uh, Will Store S T O R, and um, he is, I guess he's like an expert in 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 helping writers understand how to write better stories. And oh I read gosh. the whole thing um, in in a weekend, and I just found it really really um, useful because when when you are leader and you know particularly when you're working in a, a high growth um company it it's not just having a handle on data measuring everything um you know having the best practice experience it it's it's selling the story it's getting people bought in to why you're going to do something and why you're going to test something why you're going to change something yeah um so yeah, I to- totally agree with you. But you need good data. You you can't just be a storyteller. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you need both, things. right? You need to balance. <laughs> it needs to be a an equal balance for sure. Um, I just picked up. I haven't read it yet, but I picked up this book. Oh my! Oh, storyworthy. Cool. Story-worthy. So his um, this guy Matthew Dix is he he's a thirty six time story slam champion, which is like this small place. I think it's in. I'm going to butcher this. This is bad. Um, Connecticut, maybe. So there's like this competition that they have at this, um, this place up in Connecticut where they come Uh and they just write stories and you, it's like a poetry slam type thing where you come, but it's a story slam. So you tell the story. Like a short story. Yeah. So you create a short story and you do it. So he's won this thing like 36 times. And um, so I just bought this because I, uh, somebody else had told me about it, but they had said how good it was. It's not really business related. It's more just about the art of storytelling, but uh, so I'm excited to dive in. So if that, uh, I'll send you the name afterwards, but I'm yeah, excited to dive into that because it sounds similar. He's, um, this is, this is the one I was talking about. Yeah. I'm I just looked it up. I'm going to get that one on Amazon too. Yeah, I'd like to, I like to read, but, um, 
but yeah, that's similar, you know, similar to, I think this guy is, is basically just talking about how, um, how he thinks about, you know, creating an engaging and persuading story, um, no matter what it is. And so it's, um, I'm excited, but man, this has been fun. We are, um, uh, here to the last couple of minutes. So, uh, maybe just, you know, my last question for you is like, what's the, what is like one thing that is on top of mind for you that you're working on here over the next, you know, uh, two weeks, th- uh, four weeks, you know, next six months, like what's something that you're kind of in the back of your mind. That's, um, you know, something that, you know, you're gonna have to go do. Oh gosh. <laughs> scale you just have to pick one. Uh, okay. Well, scale scaling, the team. Scaling, scaling the team is, is a given um, yeah. for, for Chili Piper and the, and the growth that we're receiving. But, um, something that I am going to be honing in on this, this quarter in particular, and particularly is our customer health scoring. Um, so ensuring that we have all the right metrics in place to bring more predictability to uh, customer risk and customer opportunity. Very cool. Yeah, we are. Um, we're not that. We're not quite that far. We're we're close to that stage. But we. Um, that's something that's on our roadmap for a little bit later this year. Um, so I'll be interested to pick your brain after you. Uh, after you do that and go through that process, which, yeah, I also don't like the word. I don't like pick your brain. So I need to get that out of my vocabulary. I need to think of a better way to, uh, uh, share insights or, you know, um, be a sounding board. Um, but Gemma, this has been really fun and I'm excited. We got to talk through, you know, a little bit about how do you start approaching that question of, of, uh, you know, do we have the right resources in the team? Um, you know, starting to think about what, what are we really doing? What are the right activities that we're starting to track? Um, and then got to talk through a little bit about digital customer success and thinking about some of the roles just around customer success operations that are really helping kind of for, for growth and scale. So, um, I'm excited to put this one out there, but if for anybody out there, where, where can they find more of you or more of Chili Piper? Um, where do you like to spend your time digitally so that people can find you? Um, I am a big LinkedIn user, so that is the best way to get through to me. Sure. Awesome. I can, um, and I can definitely, I can definitely vouch for you in terms of being, a um, on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, and I know you're there all the time too. So it's been, it's been fun. I think there's a ton of, I'm excited because I mentioned earlier about customer success kind of, um, maturing or evolving and, you know, what we're doing, I think there's a lot more people that are coming out and kind of sharing stories and sharing insights, especially on LinkedIn. So I've been, I've found it um, a lot of fun to network and, and find new people who are doing, doing stuff. So I'm yeah, excited. Absolutely. And I'm looking, looking forward to sharing kind of more of uh, our journey at Chili Piper on how we're scaling the customer success team. So we have some things coming out on our, our own blog, like success stories that we've run and um, we'll also be, continuing to to gather as much best practice as I can from the game awesome. for entertain community. Ah, well, I'm going to um, hold you to that. I can't wait for those to come out and, uh, and yeah, we can make sure and, and share those with the audience. Cause I know there's um, a ton of people out there looking for this type of stuff. So it'll go a long way. Awesome. It's cool. been a, it's been a delight as I knew it would. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you doing this. And hopefully I feel like we're probably gonna have to do it again. I feel like there's probably more topics that we can go through. So we'll have to get you, we'll have to wrangle another, another hour from you at some point and, um, and get you on here again. Yeah. Be happy to. Thanks, Jeff. 
Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.